Good morning, Gator Nation, and welcome to episode 19 of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. And this episode is one that has been a long time coming. The Florida Gators have beaten the Georgia Bulldogs. The streak is dead. The narrative that Mullen can't beat Kirby is dead. And with just a couple more Florida victories this season, Georgia's dominance within the SEC East is dead. And we have all that to talk about and more. I'm your host, Dustin Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at IAKOWDustin. As usual, we've got an all kinds of weather creator and founder, Neil Shulman, with us, and you can follow him at all kinds weather. So, Neil, I think I already know the answer, but I have to ask you, how are you doing? Oh, man. I have been in celebration mode all day. Um, Casey was actually at the game, so he's sort of en route back now. He can't be on with us today. It's not really responsible to to drive and pod at the same time. But he did have a message from me that he wanted me to share on the air with all y'all. And that is, how about them dogs? Because that is all that he has heard from his Georgia buddies over the last three years and I gotta say it 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 feels good to not be able to or to not have to hear that anymore it's been three years of hearing all about how Kirby owns Florida it's been three years of seeing and hearing grown men and women barking like feral creatures and yelling that phrase how about them dogs how about them dogs how about them dogs over and over and over and over again three years of watching Georgia play for the SEC championship. And, and it's been two years of wondering, not really doubting, but legitimately not knowing if Mullen was capable of getting Florida over the hump in Jacksonville and beating Georgia. And that's all gone. And that just feels so great. And I've, you know, I've got a few cousins who went to Georgia, some of them in houses divided between Florida and Georgia and this next year is going to be pretty enjoyable. So, oh, and yeah, FSU got pounded by Pitt at home, and my Giants finally won a game. So this is just – this is an absolutely perfect weekend for me. How about you? <laughs> well, Neil, I-, I couldn't encapsulate what you just said any better. I mean, to see the outcome of that game, to see the, the players celebrating as they should have, I don't think I don't think it's ever been so s- sweet. Uh, or I really shouldn't say ever, but I, I don't I don't think it's been sweet in a long time to be a Gator fan like it is right now. Um, I mean, we'll get into the nitty gritty of the game, but what it means to the Gator Nation for Florida to a beat in Georgia, what it means to the fan base, what it means to the players and their families. I mean, it's a big, big deal. And again, we'll get into all that, but I'm absolutely elated. I do have friends that are Georgia fans, but honestly, I really don't feel sorry for them because it's been a while. Hey, man, <laughs> that's the one they chose. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, Neil, we're going to keep talking about this game. And I know everybody listening right now wants to hear us talk more about this game. But before we get on to more Florida-Georgia 
victory talk. Let's go ahead and get to our sponsors. All right. So, of course, we're proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation. That hasn't changed. Um, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp every year. Well, every year aside from this year, we can't do it because of COVID, obviously. But we have been reduced to a virtual campaign in 2020, and we are looking for candidates to provide that virtual experience too. And we are looking to pick someone very soon. So if you believe that you or someone you know is worthy, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Again, that is GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. And second, we're proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and they'll deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business, especially on Veterans Day week. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them your business. And two, it's run by a gator. So, yep, they do do great work, but they do great work, and they're owned by a Florida gator who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. That is stingraybranding.com. And now it is time for our featured presentation, the Florida-Georgia recap that we have been waiting for oh so long to be able to present to you guys. All right. So, Neil, we certainly have a ton to talk about here. This is such a big win. And I know, I know, I know you can agree with me, Neil, but this is such a big win on so many levels. We know this game meant a lot, but I want to hear your thoughts, Neil, specifically and exactly how much it meant to both Mullen personally and Florida as a program. I mean, it's everything. Like, just just enter the Thanos meme. It is everything. There, there were questions flying in from all different directions about what this program's ceiling was, including some from this very podcast. And they're mostly gone now. I, I will say Georgia was pretty terrible. And I think the AP voters did the right thing by dumping them out of the top 10 completely. But let's just for one time, and then we'll never have to think about this again, but just real quick, take a second to consider just how crippling a loss that this would have been. This was a game Florida had to win or else there would have been a real sense of panic within the fan base. And again, I, I include myself and Casey in this statement because if we didn't beat this Georgia team, we were never going to not knee jerk, not hyperbole reality. Georgia had half its defense out and was down to its four string quarterback and Florida for the most part, I mean, minus Zach Carter for the first half of the game was at full strength. Florida will never be this perfectly situated to beat a Kirby smart led Georgia Bulldogs team ever again, but we did, so we get to bury that and never have to think about that again. And instead, look at the other side of the situation. Florida's now unlocked all kinds of postseason doors for itself. They have a real shot to win the SEC East and get to Atlanta. You win that, and I mean, unless we fall apart between now and then and sort of back into that game at 7-3, and three, and we're probably going to the playoff. And win that, and 
well, pretty obvious, but we're national champions. The checkpoint for unlocking those doors is always going to be this game in Jacksonville as long as Kirby's there. And Mullen showed that the first two years will not be what ultimately defines him. He is capable of clearing that checkpoint and winning that game. And therefore, he is capable of bringing Florida to the levels it expects to be at. And he proved that by winning that game on Saturday. So that's what it meant. You're absolutely right. It means a ton. It really it really means a ton to Dan Mullen. It's been said over and over and over again that Dan Mullen is a good coach. He's a very good play caller. He's great at developing quarterbacks. But the big thing that's kept him from being elite is winning the big games. Coming into this, he didn't beat Georgia. Uh, I believe including a game that he that he coached against against uh, Kirby Smart as the coach of Mississippi State, 0-3 against, against Georgia. And I believe this victory sets a precedence for Dan Mullen as not only a coach, not only as a play caller, but also a recruiter. Because Georgia, in essence... And in some ways, they own the state of Florida when it came when it comes to recruiting. Georgia and Kirby Smart could could essentially go to any high school in the state of Florida and handpick their five stars. I don't think that's the case anymore. Dan Mullen now now gets to go to these players, to these schools, to these living rooms, especially after after COVID is no longer restricting coaches from making that that type of meeting. And Mullen can tell these these kids that I will coach you to an SEC championship. You will beat Georgia. You, we, we will be, with, with your talent, we'll be capable of beating teams like Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. He can do that. And no, I'm not saying that Georgia is on the caliber of Alabama or Clemson. Georgia's not. No, I'm not saying that. But I will say this. This game is going a long way to the direction of this Florida program. And that is why this win is so big. This is a program-changing victory. I really do think so. Because Florida, Florida's goal every year is not to win a New Year's Six Bowl game. I mean, I'm glad we've done it. That's big. It's massive. It's a, it's a good game. But there's no second place in football. Florida's goal every year is to win the SEC championship, to win the national championship. And in Mullen's first years as coaching for, for Florida – Losing to Georgia has kept him from that goal, and we can't say the same this year. So in Mullen's defense, he did beat Georgia in 2010 when he was at Mississippi State. Mullen was 1-2 and two against Georgia and MSU, so he was therefore 1-4 and four against Georgia in his life heading into Saturday. But yeah, huge win. I just wanted to give that little piece of context. It's not like he'd never beaten them before in his career, but it wasn't against Kirby, which is yeah. Mark Rick was a coach for that one. I was only right. The, so, but I mean, Kirby he Smart he has. Team. I mean, if we're going to be fair to Mullen, he has beaten Georgia before as a head coach. He, he beat them in 2010 in Starkville, and then he got clobbered in or no, he lost close in 11, and he got clobbered in 17. So one and two there, and now one and two at Florida. So he's two and four, which isn't really anything you could brag about, but you know, it's not like he's completely incapable of beating Kirby smart, which is the narrative that a lot of Georgia fans seem to be parroting. And unfortunately it's the narrative that Kirby has been able to sell to recruits. And I think this sort of put us, you know, put that to sleep, which is, you know, huge. Like you said, huge. Yeah. 
So unlike previous weeks, Neil, it's good to know that we're, we're in agreement on, on the, the outcome of this game. I know that, you know, considering our Georgia preview podcast, you did not think Florida was going to win this game. I didn't. No, you thought I it'd didn't. be close, but you didn't pick Florida. It's true. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. You just had to throw that shade in there, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, make sure you keep that in there. Yeah, good. You're holding me accountable like I'm doing with Georgia fans in my receipts. Thread. By the way, I'm sure you all are enjoying that if you're on Twitter. Um, if you're not on Twitter and you're just hearing this podcast and you're a Gator fan, check out my Twitter, at all kinds weather. You'll, you'll see me uh, – let's just, let's just call it the resurfacing of some pretty spectacular takes from Georgia fans this, this past offseason. I, I think you'll get a good deal of enjoyment out of that. Yeah, Neil, for lack of a better word, you're one of the better couch tweeters there ever was. So, oh, thanks, man. Uh, if you're, uh, <laughs> Appreciate that. If you're um, listening to this podcast and you're not already following Neil on Twitter, you're probably not doing something right with your life. So definitely follow that, all kinds weather. Appreciate and, that. <laughs> dive deep into some analysis of the game itself and get out some takeaways. So, Neil – uh, let's let's dive into it, and I'll, I'll get I'll get into some stats. You know how much I love the numbers, and there's certainly a lot of numbers to look at for this game. But Neil, let's get some good old fashioned Neil Schulman big picture analysis. Go for it, man. Give yeah, me your takeaways. So, yeah, I think that's kind of why we work so well together. You're uh, you're a big stats guy, and I'm a big uh, film watching guy. You know, we can both do the other thing, but I think that's what we both specialize in. That's what makes us a good pairing. Um, okay, so I'll give one takeaway on each side of the ball. Offensively, obviously, Kyle Trask had a game for the ages. wasn't perfect, but he was pretty great. Those 474 yards he threw for against Georgia were a record for the Florida Georgia game, and the second most yards that any Gator QB has ever thrown for in a game. And number one in that category, Tim Tebow. So, you know, pretty special to be number two behind Tim Tebow and something. But the scheming by Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson was just phenomenal. And look, I realize Georgia was down like 40% of its defense, but I have never in my entire life see so many wheel routes be so wide open for such huge games. And that's scheming because again, like George is not playing with its starting defensive players, but you have to do some things in that film room and in those meeting rooms with your, with, you know, with your receivers and running backs and even just tinkering at home on a, on a sheet of paper, you got to be pretty creative to get these guys open over and over and over and over again. I mean, Malik Davis had one for 37 yards, I think. Naquan Wright had one for 50 yards. Kimori Gamble, the tight end, just sort of leaked out. He gets one for a touchdown for 25 yards. Keon Zipper had a huge one for 40 yards. Looks like off the snap, he might try to block. Nope, he breaks into a dead sprint, and he's wide open down the sideline. And again, I'll say it again, I understand that defense was very inexperienced that they had out there, but we took advantage of that and confused the hell out of them. And that's coaching. It's execution as well. Obviously, guys ran the right routes and they ran them with some crispness, but that's coaching. Florida won this game in the week before the game with the coaching staff. And on defense, you know what? 
shout out to you guys. It wasn't perfect. I counted, uh, oh, I think four or five. I think it was five. I, I counted five Georgia bombs that were missed because of either drop passes or overthrows by Stetson Bennett or Dewan Mathis. Now, Alabama is not going to miss those. Now, even Arkansas and LSU probably won't miss those. But our defense is getting there. We're taking steps. Guys are looking more confident in what they're doing. Our front seven's getting some real penetration here. Not, not every play, not on a lot of plays even, but sometimes. And that's a lot more than you could say about them before Mizzou. The guys just look more confident wrapping up on tackles. And by the way, shout out to my boy James Houston for just body slamming Dewan Mathis. Literally perfect form on that. Could not possibly teach it any better. And our secondary, yeah, it got burned, but they made plays. Our secondary got three interceptions, which is three interceptions more than it had in its first four games combined. And Marco Wilson, good for you, dude. Coming up with a PBU late in the game when Georgia was trying to launch a last-ditch attempt to get back into it, I mean, that was just so great to see. So, yeah, the defense has work to do. It's not ready to compete with Alabama yet. It's definitely got some things to iron out still, but I do see signs of progress, and for that, I am just thrilled. How about you, man? What'd you take away? Let's get let's uh, let's hear some of those stats. James Houston on that hit. I'm speechless watching watching the highlight the highlight reel from the game and and pausing each time that hit came up. Man, that that's something truly special. And the reason why I love that hit so much is because coming into this game, and we were discussing our keys to victory. One item that I mentioned was being in position. I'm telling you, talent was never the issue with Florida this season when it comes to defense. It was never the issue. The issue was being mentally tough in situations and being in position to make hits and to get guys in the ground. And just to just to pull out how important that defensive element was to the game, look at Zamir White. I mean, the guy that got a 75-yard touchdown to start off the game because Florida was out of position, that very same running back only ended the game with 107 yards. Okay, a guy that starts off with, with a 75-yard handicap to only finish the game with 107 yards, that's a huge deal. I mean, Florida essentially shut down the, the running game, and that's phenomenal. I know that, obviously, Florida did not win the running battle, and that's a key that, that has always rung true, and I'm glad it didn't run, rang true in this game. I mean, Kyle Trask threw for 474 yards, okay? 474 yards, but here's the thing. One thing I love talking about when it comes to Dan Mullen's offense is how he uses the short yardage pass game to function in place of the running game. For all the, for all the hate that, that Georgia's defense got in that game, I do want to uh, tip my hat to Georgia for how well they played on run defense. Obviously, they were selling out for the run, but Dan Mullen knew that they'd be selling out for the run, and so what did he do? He put players in position. I mean, when, you're, when you look at your leading receiver being Malik Davis, a running back, you, you're obviously looking at a coach who knows how to use his talent and his weapons in a way to get them the ball. So even though Malik Davis had five re- receptions, 100 yards, I look at those as super long run plays in a way. Obviously, at least a few of those, he caught it a little, little, little deeper down the field. 
but that's a pretty big deal. The fact that he was able to uh, create a a running running tight plays while it's still being the pass game. The last the last stats that I want to go over is Florida dominated Georgia. I know the score was a little bit closer than the the actual dominance would indicate, but Florida got 571 yards of offense against a defense that was considered by many preseason to be the best defense in the country. And now uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to go ahead and officially take back my by Florida um, put in 60 on Wisconsin because I would have to say that Wisconsin has the best defense in the country. I was sorely wrong about that, but I'll just go and get that out there. But and you Florida realize got, that, that Georgia's defense was nothing compared to what it was supposed to be. I mean, right. they're, they're a walk-in right. hospital ward there. Yeah, but they're still a good defense. They're not god awful. Florida no. played incredibly well. I mean, I mean, look, I mean, look at this turnovers. The turnover battle is crucial, and the fact that that Florida got three turnovers on on Georgia forced three turnovers from them. That's incredible. I know. I know. Kyle Trask threw the pick six, and that that was in um that was one of the one of the sore spots to an incredible game, but. But that wasn't his fault, man. I mean, Henderson yeah, ran the right. wrong route there. You're right. You're right. You're right. The last stats I want to go through is time of possession first downs. Florida had 37 minutes and 26 seconds of time possession. That is insanity. That's ridiculous. That is to, to throw the ball as much as Florida threw the ball. I believe Kyle Trask threw the ball 43 times. And to still have that kind of time of possession – Ridiculous. And yeah, last time I want to go over first downs. 29 first downs on Georgia. 29 first downs on Georgia. If you would have told me before the game that Florida would obliterate Georgia in the time possession stat and more than double the number of first downs that Georgia had, I would have thought you were smoking something crazy. Yeah, that, that is wild. Florida, I, I didn't Florida realize Florida dominated. Florida dominated. And some would even say that the domination of Florida would be some kind of hidden gem, right? I mean, people look at the score and they're like, let's, yeah. let's, go, ahead and, let's go ahead and get into some hidden gems. All right. Ready to do that? Yeah. It, very interesting that you chose to, to use – I mean, those, those stats are some pretty good hidden gems because I don't think a lot of people realize that. I knew, I knew that we dominated time and possession. I didn't realize it was that bad. That, that's really something. Um, I'll say my hidden gem is going to kind of depend on the person, but for me, I'll say the offensive line. And I think I tweeted this out during the game, but never in my wildest dreams would I have predicted that Florida's O-line would control the line of scrimmage against Georgia. Certainly not after what I saw in this game a year ago and probably not even two weeks ago. I wouldn't. I mean, we, we were fine against Missouri. We didn't dominate them. We owned the trenches against Georgia. I mean, we didn't outrush them, but we ran for the yards we needed to run for, and we gave Trask time to throw the ball and go through his progressions and make reads. And, I mean, again, that's some feat, given just how awful this offensive line was last year, especially in the run game. I mean, they were okay in pass pro, but they, they were more than okay and they were great blocking for the run. So offensive line, you guys get gold stars. So my hidden gem would be a specific player, and I have to go with – well, actually, I'm going to go with it with a position group. I'm going to have to go to the tight ends. You look at 
Keon Zipper and that catch that, that completely changed the momentum of that drive. That was a huge momentum-shifting play. And on top of that, you have to look at the, the touchdown reception by Kimori Gamble. You, you look at a position group that is led by arguably the best tight end in the country. I don't, I'm not sure. Actually, I'm not sure there's an analyst out there that wouldn't say he's the best tight end in the country. I mean, Kyle Pitts is insane. But to see Kyle Pitts go down and to see the depth behind him put on plays as if Kyle Pitts never left the field, I mean, that's a testament to not only the position group, not only to uh, the job of, of the coaching staff, but I really, I really think that, that Dan Mullen's done a phenomenal job with, with creating mismatches for his tight ends. That regardless of who's in the game at that position, they're going to make plays because they're going to be in position to make plays. And I think that, that's certainly a hidden gem. Yeah, I can't, can't argue with that. I mean, I sort of touched on that when saying that we won this game the week before with our scheming. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because Florida, I mean, we don't know, but the, the tight end position is a position that we may have to rely on some backups for in the coming weeks because of Kyle Pitts getting knocked out by Lewis Seen. I mean, I feel good about Kimori Gamble and Keon Zipper. I think that, you know, they're obviously, they're not Kyle Pitts, but they're good. They're serviceable tight ends in the SEC. You can win games with them, even though our offense did take a step back against Georgia in the second half without Kyle Pitts. You can beat Arkansas. You can beat Vandy and probably Kentucky and Tennessee and even LSU with them. So, and Kyle Pitts isn't going to be out that long, but the point is when he leaves or if he, God forbid, gets hurt and or sick or something and has to miss future games, we are in pretty good hands at the tight end position even without him. Yeah. So anyway, that's what we think. But we want this podcast to be an interactive platform. So we want to hear what you guys, our listeners, think. Every week after every game, Neil puts on the IAKOW forecast Twitter and on the in all kinds of weather Facebook page saying that we want to hear from you guys respond and we'll read your comments on the pod so we're going to do that but for those of you that are listening to this uh, next week after the Arkansas game make sure you look out for that post so you can get your comment on there but for now let's go ahead and dive right in to your responses Neil go ahead and read yours first all right so I'm gonna go with uh, a little little conversation between two people I'm gonna go between Hayden real saying good win but if Georgia had an actual quarterback they would have hung 60 on us and at x5 4x which is x f i v e 4x said in response to that, if frogs had wings, which, you know, I get it. A win's a win. And given what we saw the last three years in Jacksonville, I'm not really likely to complain about beating the Georgia Bulldogs. I get the point behind Hayden Reel's tweet. I think that playing that exact same defense against Alabama or a Clemson or even Notre Dame is going to have very bad results 
And that's something that our coaches are going to need to get on our guys for. But, you know, I, I think they will. I think that we'll continue to improve. We've already taken a step forward from being an atrocious defense against Texas A&M to being a below average defense to being mediocre because Dustin you were talking after the Texas A&M game in the recap when you gave them an F and said this wasn't even a 59% F this is a 10 or a 15 or a 20% F and that in that I mean yeah because you're right but in that in that monologue you were saying a mediocre defense even would have won that game we didn't need an elite defense like 2008 or 2012 if we play mediocre defense we win that game so I, I do see both sides to that. Uh, how about you? Yeah, and, for, and for the record, Florida has exceeded that bar of expectation that at least a mediocre defense would win oh, yeah. against elite opponents. I think I wouldn't say that Florida has even a top 25 defense at this point, but they're serviceable to the extent that Florida is going to be in the game with any team in the country, including Alabama. So let me go ahead and dive right into our interactive tweet. And this one happened to be a conversation just like yours, Neil. And I'm going to go to this one, uh, this conversation that got initiated by Lucas Mann. And this is what he said. By the way, you can follow him at GatorFan1220. And this is what he said. He said, the rebuild is complete. The monster is built. Go Gators. And then we have Blueberry Gator, and you can follow him at JDUB1372. And then he says, still building, monster going to get bigger and stronger. The reason why I pulled that out is because there's some excellent takeaways we can take from, from this game. From an offensive standpoint, the Gators are elite. There's, there's, no, there's no getting around that. And, and I wouldn't even say the offense had their, had their best show out. I think they can do quite a bit better. But the fact that even in their – and we'll get to grades in a little bit, but for lack of a better word, in their B or their, their C performance, that they're putting 44 on the University of Georgia and they're putting up well over 500 yards on the University of Georgia, I believe that says a lot – about the ceiling of this offense. And for the Gators to be an elite team, I think it, and, and the, the kind of brand of football that Dan Mullen is creating, I think it's super vital that the offense is elite. And I think that's what, that's what Dan Mullen has built. I mean, we look at Kyle Trask, who's potentially a Heisman candidate. And as far as what Blueberry Gator is saying, they're not wrong. Florida's still building. We beat Georgia, but we still haven't, you know, Dan Mullen still hasn't played for an SEC championship as the head football coach of the University of Florida. We haven't beat the likes of Alabama. We still lost to a West opponent. So there's still a lot to build on. But like we were saying earlier, this is a program shifting win. And for that, Neil and I could not be more ecstatic concerning this win. And it looks like, Based on the responses, you guys are pretty stoked about it too. Well, it's definitely a paradigm shift. I mean, there's oh, for definitely sure. – you can definitely see dominance has shifted. 
I mean, you could kind of see even as early as the first game of the year against Arkansas when it was 7-5 in the second half, Georgia was clearly weakened. But that didn't mean that we were going to beat them yet. Us beating them was what meant that we were going to beat them. And now that we've done it, I can – I could definitely see why some people think that we're there right now and we're definitely getting close, but we're not, we haven't beaten Alabama yet. We haven't won the SEC yet. So we're, we're getting there, but just, you know, that, that was a checkpoint. We didn't beat the final level of the game yet. Right, Neil. And if you don't mind, I want to ask you a question. What's up? So you have a solid relationship with, some guys that are on the team. Do you have any insight or inside information on their reaction individually after this game and what it meant to them on a personal level? Yeah, so I actually FaceTimed with one of them right after yeah, in the locker room when they were dancing with Dan Mullen in the post game. I think a few other players actually Instagram lived it. So if you saw that, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and I texted with a couple of other players this morning, I guess for you guys listening yesterday morning, Sunday morning, Every, everybody's different. Everybody's got their own minds and mindset and, and dealt with the disappointment of the last few years in their own way. But the consensus mindset seems to be, and, and I'm paraphrasing this, I'm trying to come up with the best analogy here. Like, okay, so in a video game, there's that one level you keep getting to and you keep losing in it. And it's kind of like game over in video game terms or, you know, season over in national championship terms in college football. And the next time you log on to the game, you got to start all over again, like in the easy levels, which I guess in this case, the parallel in the metaphor is the offseason workouts or Mississippi or South Carolina. And now they got back to that level that keeps beating them and they finally beat it. And now they see all kinds of new levels ahead of them that they've never faced before. And they're super excited to get to face them. And I think that's part of what the celebration in the locker room was about. It wasn't just that they beat Georgia. I I mean, to be fair, that was a lot of it. When you work and work and work and work and work with the goal of beating one opponent, it's going to feel really good when you beat that opponent. But that wasn't all of it. By beating Georgia, they've unlocked a whole new world for themselves that they're very unfamiliar with, and they're super excited to face it. And the unfamiliarity is part of what makes it exciting. Again, that's me paraphrasing. None of them literally said that. Um, That was just me combining and summarizing different guys' thoughts. But I, I think in general, that's the best way to describe the mood on this team right now. Yeah, no, thank you for that insight. And while Dan Mullen has continued the the optics that this game against Georgia is just another game, and I know that's kind of frustrated fans, especially during the period of time uh, that we're no longer in existence in as far as the period of time that Florida has not beaten Georgia with Dan Mullen as the head coach. Can't say that anymore. Go Gators. But Dan Mullins continued to say, hey, this game is just like the other games. You know, next, next opponent up, let's go beat the crap out of them. And that's, that's, a, that's an okay attitude to have. I like that. I like, I like that Dan Mullen wants to beat the crap out of everybody. But let's not get it twisted. This game 
meant so much to those players, so much. And to, to, um, to hear your, you recount that, even in paraphrasing, I think it's a big deal. And I think it says a lot about what the players were able to do, how they were able to rise to the occasion. And my hope is from here on out that they continue to bring that same energy and they continue to rise to the occasion because the Florida-Georgia game is a huge game. But the reason why it's so big is because it opens doors to future opportunities. What made that game so big is his two top 10 teams vying for the SEC East, and that's how it should be. And that's how it has been each of the last three years. Yeah, and each absolutely. of the three Mullen-Kirby matchups, it's been a matchup of two top 10 teams. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, you know, Florida is – are they now – since they have the tiebreaker over Georgia, they're two games ahead in the East race? Essentially. They, they have to lose twice to not win the East and go to Atlanta. Right. Neil, I know we could talk about this for a while, but let's go ahead and dive into our final segment, and we like to call this the final word. And so, Neil, it's just you and I, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through our play of the game, our player of the game, and we're going to give grades for each of the phases of the game. We're going to go through offense, defense, and special teams, as well as an overall coaching grade. So, Neil, let's start with uh, your play of the game. What would you say your play of the game is? Well, for me, it's got to be the pitch touchdown to tie the game at 21 in the second quarter. Uh, Tyson Campbell was right on him. I mean, he, he was so right on him that it drew a flag for P.I. because it was. It was absolutely pass interference. And Pitts just fought it off like it was a bug and made the touchdown catch on a perfect throw. And that's, and that's my play of the game because after Georgia went up 14-0 and Florida fought to tie it back up, then Trask comes right back and throws a pick six. Granted, not his fault. Hendo runs the wrong route. But that could have been a point of implosion for Florida. And instead, Trask regrouped, led them right back down the field, and tied it right back up. And I don't know that Florida does that a year ago. They did do it against Kentucky, but Georgia isn't Kentucky. So perfect throw, incredible catch, fights off interference to make the catch, and right after what could have been a point of implosion, that is why that's my play of the game. How about you? My play of the game has to be the Keon Zipper reception for 39 yards. And with a, with a little less than 10 minutes to go in the first – Florida was already down 14 to nothing. At that point, I almost expected the Gators to get blown out of the water. I'm like, man, not again. I mean, how many, how many fans listening to this had flashbacks of 2017 and what Georgia did to Florida? We don't want to remember that. And that game probably led to McElwain getting fired amongst the well, it other didn't probably hoopla. It did, but yeah it, it 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 certainly helped it certainly helped the the ad's cause to fire him well no it didn't he was already gone before that game even kicked off but okay i i digress that that game was terrible point taken i digress florida was getting dominated up to that point in the game but with that key on zipper reception it put the gators if not mistaken, into the red zone, to the Georgia 20. And they went ahead to score and made it 7-14, to 14, and, and then they, they never looked back. From that point on, the Gators cemented their dominance on the offensive side of the football. Yeah, 
I mean, the offense wasn't perfect, but I would call that my play of the game. So shout out Keon Zipper. What a what a play. If you're listening, Keon, shout out to you. And of course, Trask made an excellent throw as well. And before you go on, Dustin, Casey actually texted me each piece of the final word so he could be represented in this podcast too. And he said his play of the game was the fade to Trayvon Grimes because that was a beautifully executed play by both quarterback and receiver that let Grimes use his athleticism and just beat the Georgia defender and put the game out of reach in the first half, which I don't think any of us thought was going to be possible after going down 14, nothing in the snap of a finger. So yeah, that's his play of the game. Yeah, that was a great play. And, you know, again, it was mentioned before, but Casey couldn't be with us tonight. And, and uh, we look forward to hearing from him in, the, in our next episode when we preview Arkansas. So let's go ahead and move on to our player of the game. And this is obviously a very easy one to come up with. And, Neil, we'll, we'll let you bring it first. Who would you say the player of the game was? Trask. I mean, it's got to be Trask. A, a career day for him in the biggest game of his career kind of locks that up for him. Um, I mean, I'm bouncing back from the pick six. Again, it wasn't his fault. Baby Hendo's got to run a different route that doesn't take him right into another route. So, but I mean, he did throw a pick six. Like, it doesn't go on the stat sheet for Hendo, it goes on the stat sheet for Trask. And, you know, it, it, that throw did leave his arm. So, he did throw a pick six and that can be hard to bounce back from. And he did it like it was nothing. And the next drive just leads him right back down the field for a touchdown. Like it's nothing. And I mean, he, he shredded Georgia. Yes. Again, I, I'm aware that that's not Georgia's starting defense that they were nowhere near full strength, but Kyle Trask, man, to, to have the second most prolific passing day in Gator football history, when Florida has had Shane Matthews, Danny Werfel, Chris Leak, Rex Grossman, oh yeah, and Tebow, and before that, like Spurrier, John Reeves, there's so many big time names. For him to be number two in the single game passing yard statistic of all time, yeah, player and of the to game. To do it is against Georgia, yeah, right. That, against that Georgia, yeah, that too. Uh, yeah, so that like player of the game in our segment here is the least of the accolades he deserves for that. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna defer my player of the game to a question that I have for you. Do you think after the Florida Georgia game, Kyle Trask is a legitimate Heisman contender? Oh, th- there's no doubt. That there there is zero doubt of that. Um, uh, will he win the award? Maybe, maybe not. But he'll be in New York. There is no doubt, or however they do it this year, if they do it virtually or whatever, he will be a Heisman finalist unless he really drops off a cliff. And I don't think he will because the competition is not especially hard at this point. Yeah, Neil, so it goes without saying that we would both pick Trask as the player of the game. Obviously, Millie Davis had a good showing uh, as more of a receiver. I know we discussed how Dan Mullen kind of shifted up the running game in and all that, but Casey actually went on the defensive side. You you uh, you heard from Casey. Who did Casey say was his player of the game? Yeah, so he wanted to go with Trask too, but I mean, because he wasn't on the pod, I I took that from him. So he wanted to go with someone else just to give them a shout out, and he went with my boy James Houston because he said that that hit on Mathis showed me a new swagger and a new attitude for this defense, and. 
Houston's hit on him embodied it perfectly. He hit him angrily, and this defense is starting to play with real fire and fury, and I absolutely love that. So, yeah, it, w- it would sound it would sound biased if I said that. So I'm, I'm glad I'm I'm glad that Casey stepped up and said that. Yeah, that was a beautiful hit. I mean, it was different context, but I know I know you're biased, Neil. But is it just me, or has James Houston had the most iconic hits of the season so far? Uh, well, he's had two of them. The, the hit against Fenwick of South Carolina, yep. who was stupid enough to try to block him and then get to Colin Hill and sack him, was definitely one of the most iconic hits of the year. And let's be real, Florida, you know, keep it respectful, keep it real. Being real means Florida's defense hasn't had a lot of them to choose from. It's been a pretty bad defense until a couple games ago. But Houston's definitely got two of the best defensive plays of the year, I would say, to this point. Between the hit on Mathis and just truck sticking to Sean Fenwick and then sacking Colin Hill, he's he's definitely gonna make some highlight reels with that. So that's I mean, yeah, he, he is my boy. Like we go back several years, but I mean just just looking at the tape, like I I haven't seen such an such such a posterizing hit that yeah. Yeah, it, it must have been nearly euphoric for you to watch that play and see it unfold. I, I'm so proud of that kid, man. He's he's gone through. Um, I mean, it's been rough for for everyone this year. This isn't just specific to him. He's been rough for a lot of guys on this team who are just looking to get back out there and COVID hits and no spring practice and, and and his road hasn't always been super easy. I mean, he tore his ACL in high school. That sucks. It was a long rehab process to come back for that. Uh, you know, Randy Shannon leaves, who's like an uncle to him. Guy still reaches out to Texas linebackers, you know, on happy birthday or on big occasions for their lives. And and that hurt to lose him. And, and you know, the offseason before his freshman year happened, it's it hasn't always been easy for him. So, yeah, I'm I'm proud of him, man. That, that kid has worked so hard. And to see him see him get that shout out from Brad Nesser saying, oh, the whole city of Houston hit him. Like that, that was, that was special. <laughs> yeah. I love it. All right, Neil, to kind of close things out, let's go ahead and give our grades. So what would you give the offense, the defense and the special teams as well as the coaching? Offense gets a B plus only because the second half was very, very different than the first half. I don't know if it's because we didn't have Kyle Pitts or because Mullen just tried to run the clock out, but we definitely took the foot off the pedal. So first half gets an A plus, obviously. Second half was definitely a step back. So I'll give him a B plus with that. Defense, I'll say, gets a B. There were a lot of Georgia players running free behind the secondary. Luckily for us, Stetson Bennett and Duwan Mathis are not particularly dangerous as quarterbacks. They also had a couple of drops as well as some overthrows, but getting beaten is getting beaten. And like I said earlier, Alabama is not going to miss those throws. So still some stuff to work out there. So I'll give them a B because they were otherwise very good. The way they bounced back from a first couple of pretty terrible drives defensively to become pretty stout for the most part. So that averages out to a B for me. Special teams, tricky. I'll go with a B also. McPherson missing a field goal isn't good. It is his first missed field goal of the year, but that could have put the game away even more so. 
and he didn't make it. He did make a couple because Florida had 44 points, so he did make three field goals. But that fourth one could have could have kind of buried Georgia. So that was a big miss. Um, and aside from that, they were fine. We didn't fumble any punts or anything like that. So B for them. And coaching was an A plus for me. They get the they get the gold standard here. They get the A plus. I know Mullen sort of backed off a little bit in the second half. But for me, that's overwritten because, as I said earlier, this offense, this offensive game plan was so perfectly schemed. I don't know how you do it, that you have so many wide open wheel routes. Once or twice, you can say, yeah, it's a bust by the defense. But Florida's other receivers are running routes that are designed to confuse the Georgia defense. And they did that so perfectly. And that's Yes, execution, but that is coaching. This coaching the week before the game won that game, A+. And Todd Grantham, by the way, shout out. Not perfect, but there was some more aggression. We saw some more penetration. So that's all part of it, A+. How about you? What do you think? First off, did uh, Casey give you any grades? Oh, that's right. Casey did. Cool, yeah. Uh, Let me go through my texts. I got them here. Okay, so – Offense was an A and not an A plus only because of the way. Yeah. Like I said, only because of the way Mullen took his foot off the gas in the second half. We kind of agree on that. Defense was an A minus, not that they played a minus ball for 60 minutes, but because of the way they bounced back after a pretty terrible first couple of drives. I pretty much agree with that. Special teams was a B because McPherson missed the field goal. We agree on that. Coaching is a, he gave coaching a B plus because I don't know why we went for it on fourth down. Ah, that's true. I, because I don't know why we went for it on fourth down and we took our foot off the gas. I forgot about that fourth down we went for. That was kind of mind-boggling now that I think about it in hindsight. Uh, could have kicked another field goal there. Could have buried them. I disagree with that. I, I don't think that fourth down decision was as bad as the the as the week of scheming and game planning was awesome. But, you know, that's why we have people disagree. What do you think? Dustin, what do you what are your grades? Neil, I think I think we've all pretty much hit it on the on the nose as far as the grades. For offense, I'd have to give them an A. Uh, it's definitely not an A plus territory because they did uh, call out the dogs in the second half. But I think I think that said more about not only some of the adjustments that Georgia made, but also uh, Dan Mullen's intent to not turn over the football and not throw the ball. I think the first half performance was enough to give him the A. Uh, as far as defense, I think I think you're right, Neil. I think the defense played exceptional. They're not quite there as far as the elite defense that, that we would like to see, but their defense was certainly passable, and in fact, more than that. So as far as defense, I'll give a B, and as far as special teams, I'll give them a B plus. Yeah, McPherson missed the field goal, but he also made three other field goals. I mean, you mentioned how important that that miss could have been, but if it wasn't for McPherson making those field goals, the Gators would have scored nothing in the second half. And so I think that's the perspective I want to have. So I'll give give the special teams a B plus. The fact that I'm giving the special teams a B – because McPherson went three for four on field goals and two of his makes were 50 plus is a sign of just how spoiled I am with our special teams, because 
I mean, we have Eddie Pinheiro before McPherson and now McPherson in his third year. I think it is worth noting just how bad our special teams was before that. And now we have automatic field goal kickers who should be up for the Groza award. Hint, hint, if you're one of those Groza people, you better better take care of that this year. Um, but, yeah, McPherson is, to me, the best kicker in the country. So holding him yeah. to a higher standard because I expect more out of him. I think they play great. Now, as far as coaching, Neil, you said A+. Plus. I'm not going to quite go with the plus because there's still improvement from a coaching standpoint, but there's no way I can give the Gators anything less than an A for coaching. Dan Mullen did it. He did it. He put together a game plan that did it. He, he beat the Georgia Bulldogs. He did it by creating a running game through the air, for lack of a better word. He did it by uh, putting his players in position on defense. So uh, especially after that, that 75-yarder to start off the game where, where uh, the Gators were not in position, the adjustments were great, and there's not really much else I can say. Any any other any other thoughts before we uh, kind of crash land this thing? Just one. Go for it. How about them Gators? Ha <laughs> ha! Yes, sir. God, wow. it feels so good. <sighs> yeah. Well, we're definitely Gator fans, but we're gonna give it to you in the way that it should be given to you. We're gonna tell it like it is, and if you have any doubt about that, go ahead and listen to our. Uh, pre-game for the Georgia football game where two of our key people on this, everyone except for me and the, the guests, picked Georgia to win, okay? It's not that we thought the Gators were bad. It's that we weren't 100% sure if the Gators were quite there. Yeah, I picked Florida, but still in the back of my mind, I thought that there could still be a chance for Georgia to do what they've always been doing. And then in, and beyond that, listen to our, our post-Texas A&M game recap we were we were not happy about that one so we're gonna tell it like it is so just just to kind of finish off the podcast i just want to say this if you've enjoyed our show please subscribe to us on itunes and give us a five-star rating we would very much appreciate that as we keep going and of course we thank you for listening and i think after the win over georgia 44 to 28 this is warranted now more than ever. Go Gator! To hell with <laughs> to hell with Georgia, baby. We did it. You said it. <laughs> but but, but twenty four hour rule. Got to turn around and beat Arkansas, or else this win loses a lot of its luster. Yeah, and speaking of which, we will be we'll be right on again bright and early Wednesday morning to give you the pregame analysis for that Arkansas game. Thanks again.